ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Hard in the Paint with David Grubb. And I am glad to welcome back for the second time, author and Pelican superfan, the one and only Angie Thomas. How are you doing today? I am great. Happy to be here. You know, we're right at the start of a new season, so we're at a, still at an exciting point. <laughs> you know, op- optimism is high. Reality hasn't kicked in yet, so. <laughs> Good. Well, I mean, you know, last year we got through preseason, the Pelicans were 5-0, and but it was a much different feeling then because at this point, last year going into the same team playing Toronto, we were just about to hear – Zion Williams is getting knee surgery mm-hmm. and was going to be gone just for four to six weeks, which ended up actually being <laughs> two to three months and <laughs> a much different timetable. But it, that changed everything right out of the gate. Yeah. This, clearly things have changed since the bubble ended and they came back from Orlando and you got to see these two preseason games. What were your first impressions just from watching what you saw um so far well i had to you know kind of control the enthusiasm because i'm like it's preseason we saw last year preseason they swept it was awesome everybody was on a high but i think the big difference for this year it kind of goes back to something grip talks about all the time with the team he says that they are a sum of their habits and in the two preseason games i saw better habits um, I saw much better habits. I saw better defense. I saw better control of the ball. I saw purpose, you know, um, and, and that's where I'm, I, I'm getting my optimism from. Um, I, I think this season will definitely be better than last. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say every time they pr- every time they play, I'm sitting there praying like no injuries, no injuries, no, but you know, <laughs> but you know, I'm, I'm seeing bits and pieces of things that give me a lot of hope um, and, and show improvement. So I, I think, I think we're solid. I'm not going to make any predictions because I feel like that's like jinxing it, but I, I think we're going to be solid. It's hard to make predictions. I don't like to play that game very often, especially this year, you know, with everything that's going on in 2020, I, I don't, you don't know what's going to happen with people. Um, so I just try to stay away from it. I think that they will be better. That's, that's the one thing is that I can say for sure is that I believe that they will be better. And it starts with Stan Van Gundy. And I have appreciated his approach. It has been both honest, which is really refreshing because you don't get a lot of coaches who will speak their mind in the manner that he does. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I really like about coach Van Gundy is that, like you said, there is purpose. Um, I, it is a stark contrast from what the vibe was with Alvin. It wasn't, again, it's not like disliking Alvin, but it's much more orchestrated, um, detailed, and thought out, it seems, on a day-to-day basis, what this team's agenda is and what his plan for the individual players are. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, again, like you said, that's nothing against Gentry, but for a young team like what we have, they need like a game plan like that's everybody knows their role, you know, and just from what I saw already with uh, Coach Stan and the way the guys were playing, but more importantly, the rotations, like he said something in an interview where um, he said that at all times, either Zion or Brandon will be out there on the floor. And I was like, oh, my God, we have smart rotations. <laughs> like, oh, my God. And he talks about, you know, doing rotations based on the opponent and what's going on at the game during that time. And I'm like, this is so different than what we to. Again, I'm not trying to, you know, come down on Gentry or previous coaching staff, whatever, but it is definitely different. And for, again, a young team like we have, and considering how crucial their development is, this is this is a great sign. This is an absolutely great sign. I think that was one of the biggest complaints that fans had last year. In the last few years, is just the lack of adaptability on a night-to-night basis that no matter what, they did the same things. And for this team I, to learn the game of basketball, that strategy of focusing on what we are doing against this particular team. Oh, we may run more this night. We may go inside more against this opponent. We may do these things. I think instead of having one concrete philosophy is something that I'm really intrigued by because I, I have never been a fan of any coach or organization that says we can only do this. We run. That's what we do. We play small. That's what we do. Well, basketball is deeper than that. And I think you have to be able to play multiple ways. Yes. And the deeper you go in the playoffs, the more you have to adjust and change. Like that's what one big problem was for Milwaukee. They kept with the same and coach Bud wasn't changing things to adapt. And that's why they got the quick exit that they got. So I'm not saying we're going deep into playoffs this season, but you know, in the future, when we do, I'm glad to know, okay, we have a coach that knows how to adapt and change because if you're playing the team in multiple games, they're going to figure it out quick. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, it's a relief. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's, it's so fun to, to see how Pelicans fans are. Cause it's, it is, it's an optimism, but it's mm-hmm. it's tempered because of previous burns. Mm-hmm. But also, it's it's genuine. It is a genuine optimism, not just, oh, it's a new season. There are legitimate reasons that you look to. But you did mention Milwaukee, and Drew Holiday is one of your favorite players. Has been for a long time. Yes. And he's gone. You got to talk <sighs> about how you felt on the trade itself And, well, I mean, it ends up being trades, plural, to make all of it work. Happy to have Steven Adams. Seems like it's looking good in the preseason. But you you can definitely see the vibe when Drew came back um, in the preseason that he's he's going to be missed uh, tremendously, not just by the organization, but the fans in the city of New Orleans as well. Yeah, Drew is – Drew was the the – heart in the face of the team for a while. I don't care about any other superstar power forward that was on this team. Drew was the heart of this team. That's just facts. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it was, I knew it was going to happen. Everybody knew. The writing was on the wall. And I'm happy for him to get that 
chance to compete for a championship. But yeah, I definitely, you know, it, it, it's it's bittersweet. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of like what happened the night the trade went down. I told my mom about it, who's also a Pelicans fan. And so I was like, they traded Drew to Milwaukee. And she was like, oh, he's going to be playing with Giannis now. Oh, I'm going to miss him. What did we get in return? And I told her all the picks to play. She's like, bye, Drew. Oh. <laughs> Well, my attitude wasn't quite like that, but I will say that Griff and Trajan, they made it much easier to swallow that pill with everything they got in return. You know, that was quite a bit for Drew Holiday. And it was funny to me to see on social media how everybody for months now has been saying Drew's like the most underrated player in the NBA. Then when we got all that for him, he's worth all of that. <laughs> it's like y'all just said. But um, I, I think the great thing, though, about Drew is that he left an impression on our guys. And he set a standard for our young guys that are still here. And and I think if for nothing else than that one season that they had with him and then probably the relationship they'll continue to have, it's going to affect the way that they not only approach basketball, but they approach the organization and the fans and the city of New Orleans. So, you know, Drew, Drew left a lasting impact, I think, in more ways than one. The fact that he is donating the rest of his salary from 2020 um, to African-American businesses and, and um, community groups it's great that he did that. Mm-hmm, but and I want to see an owner do it. Yeah, that that's my thing. <laughs> is I'm tired of hearing about the players and people clapping for the players and you're not hearing about the owners. Mm-hmm. And that is the part that is just driving me nuts about 2020 is that we've kind of gotten into this thing now where all the stuff from last season has been let go. All the things that the NBA talked about, all the activism, the NFL let it go. Everybody's let it go. And so when Drew does this and every and it's all of a sudden it's back in the circle, it's just on Drew. Nobody's having the broader conversation anymore. And I'm kind of worried. Um, I, I won't be shocked, and you you wouldn't be either, that if, if, if the momentum dissipates, but at the same time it's just – it's discouraging – to see that everybody kind of got caught up in it and was so excited. And now it's just, oh, well, the election's over. Let's go back to business as usual. Right, right. And I I knew that was going to happen. I think a lot of us knew that was going to happen. And it's definitely disappointing um, because the unfortunate thing is they won't start talking about it again until another Black person loses their life at the hands of police brutality. And it should not take that. This is an ongoing issue, so it should be an ongoing conversation, and there should be ongoing action. Um, I, I want the owners to do more. I, you know, I believe that they can and they should do more. They have so much power and influence. Every single owner in this league has power and influence, you know, um, and, and it should, they should be held to the fire for that. Um, and, and, and again, I, I appreciate what the league tried to do itself. Um, and I appreciate the players who spoke up and spoke out and are doing things. But again, I think they were looking at the wrong, in the wrong direction. Yeah. You I can't, think everybody was. When it's on them, you can't put no. that. And as you said, it's not about the money in as much as it's about the power and influence. And yes. the players do not have, have that at all. They can't get into those spaces. And I, I, that's the part that I think the owners, and they know they don't have to. That's the thing is that people will write the headlines about the money, 
And they'll mm-hmm. be like, oh, well, look, you know, oh, such and such paid, bought, some, you know, paid Walmart uh, layaway bills. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's great for the moment. Don't fix yeah. the problem. No. Fix the problem why they had to have stuff on layaway in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> let's fix the problem. We keep dealing with the symptoms, but. Yeah. Um, and we will get into that probably a little bit more when we talk about the, the book, because I do want to talk about the new book. But to get back on the basketball part of it, um, you talk about that young group. We get, we get Hopefully we'll get a full season out of Zion Williamson. He looks so much um, just grown up. I think that's a big part of it. Going from 19 to 20, you know, adding another year of life. Look, part of that, the baby fat goes away, but you can see, again, that learning of what it means to be – a professional basketball player, it seems yeah. as if he's figuring that out. Yeah, yeah. And it looks like the game comes easier to him now. Um, and it's fascinating to me because I looked back at those two preseason games. And Zion, I think between the two of them, he only dunked maybe once or twice at most. When everybody knows him for being this dunking guy, this dunking guy, I'm impressed because he's showing his skill set beyond that. He knows it. All of us have known it. But the finesse with which he plays, um, like he was getting up shots, layups that I didn't think he would manage. He was going through the entire (laughs) starting lineup of the Miami Heat at once, you know. Um, It seems like the game has slowed down for him. And But another one who I'm really impressed with, and I hope we see more, is Nal, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Like the growth there, I see it. Mm-hmm. And and again, I think the game has slowed down for him. Um, like Coach said, he still has uh, a ways to go in as far as his shot decisions go, but there's still so much so much potential there. Um, between the two of them, yeah, I think I, this preseason, if nothing else, showed me okay. We we have something really special here that with the with everything falls in line. It's 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 gonna pay off. Yeah, I think you know people were talking about Zion stepping out and expanding his game. I didn't need to see him shoot any threes, and mm-hmm. I'm glad he didn't shoot any threes. He did his damage where he should be doing his damage. And uh, I, what I did like was that Coach Van Gundy put the ball in his hands in quick drive situations. Like I said, one, two, three dribbles at the most when he could attack people and he looks, his handle looks much better because last year it was way out in front and he turned mm-hmm. it all, he turned the ball over a lot. Um, it didn't look like that in the preseason. And then for Nikhil, that decision of him to go to Van Gundy and say, I'm not a point guard yet. I'm a shooting guard. I think I can help this team better as a two. That recognition to me is a maturity thing of understanding where your limitations are at this point. You may grow into something else but you want to be able to help the team today. I do worry though about Jackson Hayes. He is my, he is the problem child of the group. <laughs> He's that kid incredibly talented. You know, every classroom has one guy who's smart has all the gifts, but just won't pay attention in class. And it's like, that's the thing with Jackson is like, all the gifts are there. He's been touched. He has all the things you want in a big, but it just doesn't seem like he gets it yet. Yeah, part of that is, I think, a lack of maturity, too. Um, You know, off the court, we saw what happened with the all-star thing and the uh, rising star thing. I was, I was, funny story, I was 
at a Pelicans, the Pelicans game the day that happened. Mm-hmm. And I was back in the family lounge and I was talking to Swin as that had come out and stuff. And like, you could see the, the panic. They were trying not to show because it was like, oh God, what is this kid done? <laughs> like, the vibe, the whole vibe, like on the back and then towards the locker rooms, it was just, everybody was like, oh God, what has this kid done? Like, it was hilarious looking back on it. But I think he still, he has some maturity. Some He has a ways to go in his maturity and it'll show in his game too. Um, I, You know, I didn't hear from him the kind of growth that I even heard from Nikhil in Nikhil's interview. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, that reflects in how you play. Um, now, I think Jackson has all the potential in the world. Like, I think this kid is phenomenal, has the potential to be for even better. Um, and I am. I'm concerned, too. <laughs> I'm concerned, too. I don't want him to um, feel as if, well, this works for me, so I'm just going to keep at it and not expand his game. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out specifically under coach Van Gundy. Um, and, and then too, the influence that Steven Adams has on him because I, Derek favors great guy, but he doesn't seem vocal. No, he was not. He doesn't seem like the mentoring type. No, no. no. Whereas I think Steven Adams will give him that, you know, that push and that mentorship that he needs. So the only hope is that, he listens. <laughs> yes. And I, I, he's either going to listen or he's not going to play. Because that's the thing with Van Gundy. is like, if you're not going to defend at the very least, if you're not going to be where you're supposed to be, it's one thing to fail. But if you're not going to you know, run, your, run your assignments correctly, I think that's the thing. And I think Jackson needs that. He needs to be pushed to a level of – this is what it takes to be an NBA player. Last year he could get away with that because everybody thought, well, it was his redshirt year. Well, no, 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 no. You're a pro. You're getting paid for this. It doesn't matter if you were redshirt or whatever, what you think or not. You think you came out, to, you got drafted the first round. Yeah. Come out and play. And I think that's the thing for Jax is that I'd rather see him not worry about, you know, you can see it. He wants his dunks. Mm-hmm. And that bothers me. That one conversation that he had with Brandon Aaron was like, well, I was open over here. No, don't worry about that. Get offensive boards. You know, create your opportunities that way. You'll get lobs in transition. You'll get them back doors every now and then. But right now, get offensive boards, get defensive boards, block shots, and get putbacks. If he can do those things effectively night to night, he can grow in that role because you have, like you said, Steven Adams to do it for Mm -hmm. you 30 minutes every night. Right. And the thing is, dude, don't focus on dunks when you are now the king of almost dunks. Like <laughs> the universe is trying to tell you something, baby. You <laughs> don't put all your energy and focus into that. Every time he does, the, they could be amazing dunks and they just don't go. And I think it is the universe's way of saying, this is not what you need to focus on. <laughs> it's not going to reward you for your no. lack of discipline. No. Can't give him candy. No candy. No candy. You got to eat your vegetables first. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Grab those boards. <laughs> Better get that broccoli, boy. Exactly. <laughs> get that broccoli and that protein. Then we'll worry about dessert. Come on. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I love 
Stephen Adams is one of my favorite people to cover. Um, interviewing him is a joy. Like he's again brutally honest, and he does not suffer fools lightly. And I think that's something that this locker room really needed to balance it out. To have JJ was the only guy last year who really did that, mm-hmm. and now to bring Stephen Adams as a vet to come in and say, "Yeah, physically he's tough, mentally he's tough, and he's going. He's not a guy who's going to be concerned with his numbers at the end of the day." but teams are better with him. And I think a lot of these younger players need to learn that, that it's not going to be the digits um, that you put up because Steven Adams is getting $17.5 million in this extension to be a 12-10 and 10 guy, not a 20-10. and 10, But it's all the little things that he does. And I hope that, that those, these players learn the nuances of, of the game because he is a master of the in-between, of the things that happen from the, the pick – to the basket from the, from the moment the ball comes off the rim until the defense is started. He is so good at all the subtleties of basketball. Yes, yes. So the, hopefully those habits rub off on Jacks especially. It's going to be fun, though, to watch him and Zion, just that physical presence between yeah. those two. That, I don't want to drive the paint on those guys. No, <laughs> that's a wall. Yeah. You talking <laughs> about got his wall. <laughs> That's the wall right there. That's it. And I, I'm those two together. And you saw in the preseason, people talking about spacing. And I keep telling people all the time, spacing and created in many different ways. It's how you move, all these things. And we saw there was no trouble in them facilitating things offensively with both Adams and, and um, Zion on the floor. No, no. And I, I hope it continues to shut some people up. Um, you know, the league has become such a three-point shooting thing, but y'all, there are other ways to win games besides shooting threes. Um, it's not the only way. And we got to see, I loved seeing the pick and roll between Adams and Zion. Like it was a thing of beauty. And I, I'm thankful that Griff and Trajan don't listen to social media on constructing <laughs> team (laughs) there's a reason they have the jobs that they do they get something that we don't they see something we don't and I see how having those two on the court at the same time is beneficial to BI even so yeah it's it's spacing is like you said it can be achieved in multiple ways and we're seeing that already let's talk about BI he has the look like it, it just seems he came back from this abbreviated offseason and from the first minute of the first preseason game, even in the preseason when they were practicing, he just has the look of a number one guy. He mm-hmm. is willing to embrace that burden um, and that responsibility. And it just seems like he's very comfortable in it um, this year, which is a, a big jump to make from being a guy on a new team to being the guy who's probably now the unquestioned leader um, of this group. Yeah. Yeah. And I, his second preseason game was not the best, Mm -mm. but here's what I say about that. I'm, I'm optimistic because I know that nobody is going to be harder on Brandon Ingram about that than Brandon Ingram. And that's the kind of guy you want as a leader. You want somebody who recognizes, okay, this was not my best. I, I got to do better. I owed my team better than that. That's his whole attitude. And I, I, I'm seeing him come into himself as a player mm-hmm. um, he, he, and as a leader. 
Um, and you see it not just on the court, but even just how he's been doing even on social media and stuff. Um, he recognizes, okay, I got this max contract. With max contract comes max responsibilities. And I think that's probably one of the best things that could have come from the Drew trade. Because suddenly the training wheels are off and it's like, all right, who's, who's the leader here? Because Drew was that for that whole last season. Mm-hmm. And if we want B.I. and Zion to really have the keys to this franchise, that means they got to step into these leadership roles early, specifically B.I. And that, that for me, that makes that contract beyond what he does on the court. It just makes it worth every penny because it affects how he plays and how he sees the game and how he seems, sees the team. It affects his entire mentality. Like, I mean, of course, we see him smiling in pictures now more than we ever saw him smile before. I mean, the kind of money he got, I would. But <laughs> it's obvious, too, he recognizes, all right, this is not just a check. This, yeah. is, this is a role, and I better step up to the plate and and take this team wherever it needs to go. The other guys who came with them, of course, Josh Hart, Lonzo Ball, they're both mm-hmm. in this position of waiting for their extensions. And Lonzo was always the hottest topic. You know, people clutch today said that there wouldn't be an extension. And I, I'm not surprised by that, that they wouldn't mm-hmm. sign the extension before. That They want to go into restricted free agency. They want to see what the offers are. I don't blame them for that. Same with Josh. Yeah. You know, it's like it, you want to – you look at what the, the money is out there, and there are going to be a lot of teams this offseason that have a lot of money coming up. But Lonzo and Josh, to me – you see their value so much. And you saw, I mean, you, you know, Kevin Durant today was talking about how dangerous the Pelicans are because Lonzo has the ball. And you saw his growth in game two. You know, people kind of were on him in game one in the preseason, but in game two, I didn't think he took bad shots in the first game. He just didn't go down. Mm-hmm. His whole game was on display. If he's giving you 17, eight assists, seven boards, a couple steals every night, maybe a block – it's going to be hard to beat the Pelicans just because, again, he's one of those players like Steven Adams whose brain and his ability to do the things that you don't see on a stat sheet, his intellect basketball-wise is just so high. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Lonzo is such a controversial topic among Pelicans fans. Um, The thing is, I always have to keep in mind, and I want all of us to keep in mind, the fact that he did not have a healthy season or off season before he came to the Pelicans. This is the first healthy off season he's had in his whole career, which means this is the first off season where he could really work on his game and stuff. I want him, I want to give him, I want to give him a chance and I want to see what he can do because the potential is there. Um, I, I, I want Lonzo to be great. You know, I, I absolutely want Lonzo to be great because that makes the team great. And he does. He has such an amazing basketball IQ. And I I watch him. I specifically watched him in the second game and noticed the little things. But also his his IQ seems to have increased. He's gotten even smarter when it comes to the game. His decision-making in the second game was great. And then his aggressiveness in the second game was great. And – the I noticed some Lonzo fans saying that Coach Van Gundy seems to be the first coach he's had that's really believed in him. 
I don't know if that's a thousand percent true. No. Okay. Because I, I'd say zero because I Alvin loved. Love. Yeah. Yeah. It's just they don't like the way they showed that love. Um, but and we know that the second something goes wrong, they're going to change on Stan because that's how they are. But <laughs> them down for one minute at one point, they're going to always go. Right. Right. But I think the thing, the difference with Van Gundy versus maybe other coaches is that I think he will put Lonzo in a position that maximizes his strengths more so and is not forcing him to be a player he's not. Um, I, I saw bits and pieces of that in the two preseason games. Um, and that gives me hope. I think, I think it was best to not extend him. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see what kind of offers he gets out on the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but I'm really interested to see how he does this year. It's, it's very apparent that B.I.'s MIP season inspired him. And I say, hey, if you want to go for most improved player, go for it. Absolutely go for it. Please do. I want you to get it. <laughs> you know, go for it. Earn that contract that you actually want. So I'm glad they didn't because it's it's going to light a fire up under him to be even better. Yeah, I, I think his, his growth potential and staying, um one of the things that I, I thought that he does very well with Lonzo is – he is giving him more confidence in the sense of, you know what you can do, but I'm going to provide to you this area for you to operate. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to create these opportunities for you because that's still not something that he always excels on his own in just generating that on his own. So it's like Stan has put in some sets, like you said, that, that create aggressiveness for Lonzo and then his confidence in his body now. Like you said, those those years of not knowing if his ankle was going to hold up or if his body was going to take a hit and he's going to get hurt again, I think now he's more much more confident in that he can take the pounding if he goes inside. And then now that his shot has improved, if he has to go to the free throw line, he's not scared to do it. And those things, mm-hmm. I think people forget how – this is not just – performance this is all mental this is it is yeah. not just physical muscle memory it is it is very much mental like anything else and I think we when we get into these things with athletes we just expect them to do it because they have mm-hmm. and not understand what it takes to get to that level yeah yeah it's it's a lot most of it is mental you know I was doing a cycling class earlier and my um the uh instructor said you're your mind is the strongest muscle you have. And it's fact that 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 applies to basketball players too. I can only imagine what it did for Lonzo's psyche to deal with the criticism while in LA, then the trade rumors while in LA, the, uh, the injuries, um, then coming to new Orleans and, you know, being in this new situation, um, and not being seen as the same guy that you were seen as when you first came into the league, mm-hmm. seeing all the hype die down, so to speak, seeing people call you a bust before you've really even gotten a chance to thrive. So I, I can only imagine, and I, I see his confidence coming back. Um, and, and that's, that's a big factor of it. He's um, us too now. Hmm? You you don't usually see Lonzo smile like last. No, <laughs> he smiles more now. <laughs> like this. Like, you know, I thought after hearing about two to three hour practices, they wouldn't be smiling, but they. 
they seem happier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's that simple as structure is something that do people do embrace. And sometimes it just takes some structure and say, okay, at least now, because I think a lot of players now are much more why oriented. Whereas before coaches would tell you something, you did it. But now if you tell them why, and I think that's, you know, particularly guys who are highly, you know, intelligent and intuitive, you tell them why and they'll, they get on board. And I think they understand the why. And I don't know if maybe if that was something that was effectively communicated all the time last season mm-hmm. um, is that it was so much time spent on trying to get them acclimated. But now Stan comes in, he's got his plan, and there's a why to all of this. We do this because. And I think yep. that alleviates a lot of concern for, for young players now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, too, when you think about it. Um, because we're talking about players who are all intelligent and, and, and have – most a big chunk of our players have pretty good basketball IQs. They're smart when it comes to the game. So having a coach who does break it down and focuses on detail, detail, detail will help them in their growth and their development. Um, and, you know, I hate going to this word because it's become such just a buzzword, but it helps with creating Pelicans culture. Mm-hmm. You know, two to three hour practices, details, stuff like that, that lends to the culture. And, and again, it makes our players smarter having a coach that's going to break it down like that for them. Um, so I, I could see the game slowing down for Lonzo as well. Um, I, I noticed that. Because, you know, I view myself as an artistic mind. And you are an artistic mind. And we deal with concepts. We like big concepts. And for us, the devil is in the details. I would imagine that a lot of times it's that I know what I want to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have this great idea and right. now putting all the, the, you know, coloring in all the lines requires a discipline that on my own. And I, I and I've seen you tweet about this too, that, that on my own, that discipline does not always exist. No, no. <laughs> and when you are a creative person, when that's your inclination and, and sometimes you need people to give you that framework, and say, operate within this, do whatever you want mm-hmm. within this framework. And that helps so much um, when you are exploring your, the limits of your creativity. And as much as basketball is science, it is art as well. And yes. you will be allowed to exp- explore your creativity within a team structure. Yes, 1000%. So again, I'm I'm very much on the Stan Van train. <laughs> and you know, the second we have a losing streak, people are going to be calling for his job. But I, again, we are the sum of our habits, like Griff says, and he's instilling good habits. Like everything we've already discussed, you and I during this, is such an improvement <laughs> on what we previously saw for this team. So, yep, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> if you had to pick one player this season mm-hmm. that you expect to make a jump, uh, you know, they all should progress. But mm-hmm. if somebody were to make a jump like B.I. did from, you know, uh, who, who would be that person that you're really watching this season? Well, it's Lonzo for me. It's Lonzo because this is the year to prove, you know, this is the year where you can get the big contract. If you want it, if you want that, you got to prove it. 
Um, this is I, I don't think anybody on that team has that kind of pressure on them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a guy who number two draft pick. You know, um, this is a guy whose dad has hyped him up to be the next coming of uh, Jordan almost. <laughs> you know, he, he's had all the hype. He's had this and that. And he's had all the doubters. This is the season when you're up for, you know, going into restricted free agency, up for a new contract. This is the season to either shut up or show up, one or the other. So I'm watching him like, that's the one I'm watching this season. Um, I, it, it's, I, I don't know how it's going to turn out, obviously. Right. Th- this conversation, I could either be happy in a few months or sad. <laughs> but I, I'm, I, I'm trusting Lonzo. I really think he wants to stay with the mm-hmm. Pelicans. I think if all things were equal, he, he'd, he'd want to stay you know, as long as he could. Yeah. Um, but you know this is business, and we have no control over that end of it as observers. So I, the best thing is, the one thing we do know is if they play a great season, every he'll he'll be all right, one way or another, and the Pelicans mm-hmm. will be in good shape. Um, that means that the Pelicans had a good season if he had a great season, most likely. Yes. So yes. I'm looking for that. The other guy we didn't talk about is Eric Bledsoe, and. What's interesting is the Pelicans have built this team now with a lot of guys who have this southern, have a southern connection now. Let's mm-hmm. go from Birmingham. I know right where from you know people from because my family's from Birmingham on my mom's side, and then you got Bi and you got Zion, North and South Carolina boys who have very much bought into the New Orleans culture because it reminds them of that. Mm-hmm. I think it is important at times when you are building something. You know when teams take on the identity of their cities and it's very translatable um, for those guys to get the culture um, and and buy in of the city of New Orleans. And I think that's what New Orleans has also been waiting for is to have stars who really um, like Drew Brees is seen as a member of the community, like Archie Manning and the Manning family are seen as staples of the New Orleans community. Mm -hmm. They've been waiting for a basketball player or players to assume those roles too and they have guys who could potentially do that. Yeah, I think it was all – I think it's intentional, too. Um, some of the decisions going forward, is, it is about getting those guys from the, uh, from the south, from the smaller areas, from the small towns, because the unfortunate thing is, as a small market, you're not going to attract the big free agents as easily. Um, so you have to use what you got. <laughs> you know um that's why there was one player that I wanted and like you tweeted me you were like nope don't you don't want that Kelly Oubre like <laughs> I look I will never forget when the Suns came to New Orleans and I was at that game last season and there was this guy who kept yelling at Oubre like yelling trash talk at Oubre and like and during a timeout he was still trash talking Ubre, loud, drunk white dude. And all Ubre did was rolled up his sleeve and showed him his tat. Um, <laughs> like he had all kinds of New Orleans tattoos on his arms. He was like, oh, my bad. You ought to come home, bro. <laughs> Look, I love Kelly's talent, but it just feels like, you know, he wants that opportunity to be the guy. He's mm. really looking for that. And that wasn't going to happen in New Orleans. No, no, but I thought he would bring that. You know, oh, this is that's he, his home. He's to the core. 
That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to put I, 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 I the polite way to say it, but yeah, he's, <laughs> he's New Orleans. Like, yeah, yeah. All of it. All of it. Whatever, whatever you think of it, yeah, he's the good, the bad, all of it. He's got it all in him. And that's, that's New Orleans. That's, that's the, the beautiful thing about this, the city is that you take a little bit of all of it if, you, if you're there long enough. You're going to get yeah. some of the rough edges, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, limited attendance this year at the Smoothie King Center. Mm-hmm. How many games are you going to get to go to? I'm not sure yet because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in Mississippi and it's a three hour drive and well, that's going to be six hours altogether. And the, the problem for me is, do I feel comfortable staying in a hotel, you know, uh, and then my mom has pre-existing conditions. She's diabetic. And it's like, do we want to risk it to go see the Pelicans? You know, because if they lose, she's going to cuss them all out. Like, I don't know if we need to take that chance. She's like, I risk my health to come down here to see y'all lose. Like, I don't know if we need so it's it's hard. It's been hard trying to figure it out. Um, my ticket guy tried to get in touch with me. I hadn't called him back because I just I don't know. Um, I wish I could. And I, I I think they're doing a great job with you know the attend how they're doing the attendance and following good safety protocols and stuff. But I think that at some point they're gonna be like no fans. I don't know if it's sustainable. It's, um, it's- it's really hard. I, I'm trying to figure out just how you keep, like, how do you keep prioritizing people? And how do you, that limited number, if you're not cycling the same group over and over again, it's very, it's, it's just such a hard process. It just seems easier to do it without fans at all. Because it can't generate that much money to have 750 no. people no. in the gym. No, that's not money at all you know that's <laughs> that sounds honestly to me it sounds like that's a bigger waste of money to make sure you have you know everything else in play for all those the for those 750 fans than it is a way to generate anything um because i'm like okay do you have food stands open you what know, do you do nothing Maybe nothing see no, food, no drink nada so yeah yeah, it, I just, I don't see it working long term. Um, I I want to go back. <laughs> I, I think about my last game all the time. <laughs> my last game, they played, that was the game where they lost to the Timberwolves. Oh, yes. And I was, my seats are near the visiting team side. Yep. And like, I was cursing and mad. And like the dudes from the, some of the coaching staff on the Timberwolves were <laughs> laughing at me because I was so heated. And I started cursing them out. And my usher was like, no, Angie, stop. No, don't make me have to put you out of here. And so that was my last experience in the Smoothie King Center. So if nothing else, I learned. You got to get that. You got to sage that out. <laughs> you got to sage that experience out. Yes. You got to get on your Kyrie. And you need to get yeah, that so bad like, juju. <laughs> I gotta go back. I gotta go back and get rid of all that bad juju I put in the air. Like, come on. <laughs> you gotta let me back in just for that. <laughs> I can do a redo. Because <laughs> I'm like, Angie, it was the Timberwolves. Really? 
It was not. Like, that's the, but that's the thing. It's the Timberwolves. Exactly. That's Bobby why I was so pissed. And Cat wasn't even playing. Oh. It was just, I was like, what are y'all doing? So, I got to have a redo at some point. <laughs> I left on a bad note. We got to do it. Got to make it right for you. We have to make it right. 2020 is going to end and you, your last experience was not good. <laughs> Maybe that's maybe that's just suitable for twenty. You wipe it out. You come back in twenty twenty one. Yes, that's what we'll say. You have a good experience to start it off. Did you have any flashbacks or deja vu when this whole James Harden thing started in Houston? Yes. Oh my god. Um, I feel so bad for Houston fans. Who you don't? (laughs) (laughs) Really don't. But I, I saw the clip today when they were asking him, did you request a trade? And he was just like, next question. And like, it just, it brought back memories of that's all folks and all of that. Like, I, I'm still like, I have to talk to my therapist about the anger I feel about that whole situation. Like I, from a professional business standpoint, um, uh, there was a point in which like LeBron's company, his production company wanted to work with me on some stuff. And I let my bitterness about that whole situation make me say, I don't know if I want to work with you. <laughs> like, I don't know about that. Like, I just... I, Checking the, your phone like, it's LeBron. Mm. Yeah, like the pettiness in me. And plus I'm like, okay, Angie, let's say you do do a project with LeBron's company. What are the Pelicans fans going to say when they see that announced? <laughs> like, what he says, what are that company like, we want you to work on something with AD. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> He's really trying to get into, he would get involved in a project. <laughs> well, I got to like, I gotta, I gotta Not in my pray. No. I gotta pray and all kind of stuff because I'm like, dude, it was just, but it showed, it, it put such a sour uh, in my mouth about his character. Like, I don't even want to go into it. Harden being in Vegas, like, that, that part, to go to Vegas, to be out there partying with no mask on, getting real fat. Yes. Real fat. Like, in Atlanta, probably hitting up Magic City for the Lou Will special, all of that. <laughs> and, and James, the Tories, I, I, I'm sure if he does get traded from Houston, they're going to retire his jersey in a number of uh, gentlemen's clubs. Yeah, yeah but maybe know. not at the arena. You know, like, yeah, he, he, they might take a minute for him to get that jersey up at the, uh, the arena, yeah, but it'll be at every club in Houston. They'll be pulling those numbers up there. And some dollars yeah. falling down from that beard. <laughs> <laughs> but, and you think about it, it was just, it was so disrespectful to the fans. You know, I get wearing this player empowerment era, and that's great. But at what point do y'all think about the fans at all? Because you wouldn't be making millions of dollars if it weren't for them. That's just fact. Um, and. <sighs> It was it was disrespectful to the fans. It was disrespectful to his new teammates. Like, dude, we see you out in Vegas and out in Atlanta with the baby, little baby, whoever. You know, like we see you, and then you come back looking like somebody's uncle talking about, hey, let me get in on this pickup game, bruh. 
what is going on here? So, um, Houston fans, I've been where you are to a degree. Hopefully it, it ends sooner than later. Yeah, he went from James Harden to Uncle Jimmy. <laughs> hey, boy. <laughs> Give me that rock, boy. You don't know about this? <laughs> Dude, tweet the legs and shoot that shot. And let it go. Come back into the house. <laughs> oh. It's going to be interesting to see where he ends up, though. I'm curious. Oh. There were some people who were saying we should get him, and I don't want that. Please, God. And, and everything, if you take him in, any team, and you know, you have to change your whole system to work with a dude that wants to hold the ball for 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. No, we can't. We should not. He it might be stuck. the least enjoyable, great player to watch ever. Like him and Carl Malone. Yeah, and I think that's a big reason why it's so hard for them to find a trade. He drives everybody away. You're the only dude drive every star away. Like, he make Dwight Howard look good now. Like, everybody, <laughs> why couldn't it have been that bad? He drives – you don't like Chris Paul? You don't like Russell Webber? Dwight, Dwight might have been all right. Dwight may have been okay. <laughs> Maybe Dwight – we got to go back and talk to Dwight. See how he's doing. Oh. Before I let you go, though, I want to talk about the book. I have to talk about the book. So your new book comes out in January, but you yes. can order it right now, right? Yes. yes. Concrete Rose. Um, it's the prequel to The Hate You Give. Uh-huh. When did you realize that you wanted another chapter in that story? I didn't plan for it initially. It was like after the book was out and I was talking to a lot of readers um, and Maverick was the character they asked me about the most. And the hate you give, Maverick is Star's dad. Um, and he's this guy who was once involved in a gang. He once sold drugs, but now he's um, a business owner. Um, he's a father. And he's, he's also this guy who can bring the two sides of the two different gangs together at the dinner table at his house to come to a truce because he's still got an ear to the streets and stuff like that. Um, but he's also a Malcolm X, Black Panther uh, type dude. So he, he was the character everybody asked me about the most. They wanted to know how did he become this person, this father, this man. And I started to ask myself the same thing. But it wasn't until the film adaptation was being made. Russell Hornsby played Maverick in the movie. And Russell did a phenomenal job. I think he should have gotten some awards for his uh, performance. But we would have conversations, he and I, while on set. Now, the thing about Russell was every time he stepped on the set, whether the camera was rolling he, or not, he was maverick. He had a certain way he walked when he was maverick. He talked a certain way. He listened to certain music, all sorts of things. He really became another person and, and became this character. And we would have conversations, and he'd ask me things about maverick that wouldn't necessarily make it onto screen, but it was things that would help him in tapping into the character more. So he was like, so what was his relationship like with his mom? And I know, you know, you said his dad was incarcerated. How was that for him? You know, what was his relationship like with this cousin that's mentioned in the book? And talking to Russell and coming up with those answers on the spot, I was like, huh, maybe this could be a book. (laughs) So I decided to write it 
not too long after the movie came out. Um, because for one, I wanted to answer those questions, but two, I wanted to write a book to show that a black father is not a unicorn. Mm-hmm. Young black men turning their lives around are not unicorns. It's more normal than people want to think. Um, but I wanted to show, yeah, it's normal and it's possible. Um, I, I wanted this to be a, a love letter to black men um, in a world that often does not give y'all that. I wanted to give you that in the form of this book. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. What made it real in, in writing? Because, you know, people, it's fiction. It's the product of your imagination, but it's grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you and that process turn these into real people? I draw inspiration from real people, real communities and environments I know. Um, Maverick has bits and pieces of my grandfather, bits and pieces of cousins, um, bits and pieces of Tupac in him. Um, And then the neighborhood where all three of my books take place, Garden Heights, it's loosely based on the neighborhood where I grew up here in Mississippi and Jackson. Um, So there are people there that inspired characters in the book. it's all about crafting a world that you feel like you can step into any single day. And, and that was so important for me. And by doing to do that, you have to put people that you'd see every single day. So um, it, it was about making it as whole as possible, um, but also crafting, creating a young man that I see, that I know, that I grew up with um, and, and, and showing his, his struggles, but also his, his joy and his strength and his beauty um, that is so often not seen in mainstream media when it comes to black boys. You know, I was just thankful, if nothing else, they gave me a cover of a black boy in a do-rag surrounded by rose petals. Like, you don't see that. <laughs> but there's something to that. Um, and it's so representative of what I wanted to accomplish with this book. Show the beauty in this young man because it's beauty that I see every single day. And like you said, this so often these young men are thrown away um, and just assumed because of their circumstances um, and their adaptation really in survival mode to, to live in these circumstances. But from a masculine perspective, how do you tap, you know, how, you know, they always talk about how do white folks write for black folks, how do men mm-hmm. write for women what when you're drawing from those things they're still drawing from from an external perspective so how do you have those conversations or um things to make sure that it's authentic to the to that male perspective though it's being written through your eyes mm-hmm. for me the most important thing is one respect the identity i'm writing um i have the utmost respect for black men and so by having respect for black men i wanted to write a character that was an authentic mirror as much as possible. And to do that, that meant talking to black men that I know, um, having the conversations, letting them read it and tell me, nah, nah, sis, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and being okay with being wrong and being willing to listen and change. I think that's key with any writer who writes something outside of themselves. Respect who you're writing about and listen to those who identify with this character when they tell you this is wrong or this is okay or maybe you should work on this a little bit. So that that was a big one for me. And also reading works by black men helped a whole lot too 
reading works by my contemporaries. Like there's an author named Jason Reynolds. Mm -hmm. Jason writes children's books um, for young kids to teenagers. Um, he's a black guy and he's a phenomenal writer. And I love every single thing that Jason writes. And I've read his books. Um, I've read Kwame Alexander, another young adult author. I read Walter Dean Myers, um, a classic young adult uh, author who wrote a phenomenal book called Monster back in the day. Yes, and, okay, yes, I know that book. You know Monster, yes, yes, yes. Mr. Walter Dean Myers, I read that. So I had to read what had already been done, mm -hmm. watch movies even that had already been done from the perspective of young black men and talk to black men and young black men especially and let them read it and get their point of view. Because if I'm gonna write this, that's the least I could do. A lot of times I've seen a couple of things where people will try to pigeonhole and call it, you know, and because it's young, it's for young audiences that it's somehow just into a box, mm -hmm. but plenty of adults are reading your books. You know, plenty of adults are feeling something from these words. Um, I know you, do you, do, are you just trying to write good work and it just happens to fall into that category or, you know, is there some, cause I, I see things like I just look on the internet, how to write for young audiences. Mm. You throw that stuff out and just say, I'm, I'm writing what I'm writing. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, and, and that's, that's so important for me because a lot of times if you listen to stuff like that, it's going to limit the way you write. <laughs> And it's gonna sometimes people come off as being preachy um, or they, they're talking down to the reader. I don't wanna talk down to my readers. I wanna talk with them. Um, here's the thing about teenagers. They can smell authentic, in, inauthentic things a mile away. If you aren't authentic with them, they know from jump. And I have to have as much authenticity in my work as possible, even if it makes adults uncomfortable. So I'm, I'm going to write about real things. Concrete Rose deals with teen pregnancy, teen parenthood, and teen sex, because these are things teens deal with. And I would be doing them a disservice if I shied away from it to a degree. Now, is there a way to do it so that my book isn't banned by every single school district? Yeah, but they're still going to ban it. <laughs> They're still going to ban it. I know this. Um, but yeah, I, I just try to write good stories for them. Um, and, and the beautiful thing is that I'm learning that good storytelling, it connects with people, whether they see themselves in the character or not. I did an interview recently with the BBC um, and there was, they had a book club and this older British woman called in like 60 some year old British woman. She's like, Oh, I just love the hate you give. I'm like, wow. <laughs> I never expected that. <laughs> so good storytelling goes a long way. <laughs> that's amazing. That's the stuff that you... You know, that's why we do these things, I think, so much. It's for, not for the folks that we target things for all mm -hmm. the time because you, you intentionally went for that group, but it's those folks that you never expect to come and, and come to your work however they come to it, and they find something of value in it. And like you said, you, you may have changed that person's perspective on any number of things just because you were accessible in how you presented it. Yeah, Absolutely. Books have so much power. Storytelling has so much power. 
And, 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 and that's something I'm going to rely on for the rest of my career, the power of storytelling. So please, um, before we wrap up, tell folks how they can pre-order it now. Um, and, and just, uh, I think the release date is January the 12th, I want to say. Yes. Yes. January 12th. Um, you can pre-order from Barnes Noble, um, Books a million, Amazon, wherever you like to get your books, you can pre-order it. Um, I prefer if people get it from independent bookstores because right now, um, with all we're dealing with, small businesses are suffering. Um, Jeff Bezos does not need your money like that independent bookstore a couple of miles away does. If you call them, they will put a pre-order in with no problem. If you don't know of one, I could tell you of mine. Lemuria Books here in Jackson, Mississippi, they ship and they're doing signed copies. I will sign a copy for you. You can call Lemuria or go to their website. Um, L-E-M-U-R-I-A Books. Um, Google them. I don't know the site off top, but um, they will ship to you wherever you are. So try to support independent bookstores if you can, because we cannot lose that um, that institution in our communities. It, it's so important in so many different ways. So support independent bookstores and you can pre-order from them. Yeah, my daughter to this day, she still loves just walking the aisles. You know, sometimes you just gotta go let her go and walk the aisles <laughs> and see, see what she finds that catches her eye. And Barnes & Noble ain't the place to do that. I mean, look, I, again, it's not a knock on Barnes & Noble, nothing like that. They're, sometimes you gotta find what you gotta find. But there's something intimate about being in a store that's just a bookstore. There ain't no cafe, there ain't no music, you know, records. It's just books. And there's something just that's, it's, it may seem silly and romantic, but that smell, that vibe is, you cannot recreate it. You cannot yeah. recreate it. It's one of a kind. And even just holding a book in your hands, there's something different about it. I, you know, we all read on our digital media, whatever you, your choice is, but there's still nothing like just putting that thing down. And like, this is my page. I got to remember this for tomorrow. I got, you know, yep. I, I turn in that little corner up, whatever it is that you do is just, it's different. And there are books that I keep that I've had my little for, for years and years on my shelf that they're worn and, and the covers are, are, are not pretty anymore, but, it's my book. It's my yes. book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is, I, I enjoy this every time we get to talk. I, of course, our exchanges on Twitter are, are fun as well. Um, but just thank you for coming on my platform. And then just thank you for what you're doing with yours. Thank you for having me. Look, anytime I get to talk about the Pelicans, I'm happy. Unless they've made me unhappy. So thank you <laughs> for the opportunity. I hope we get to do this again soon. And I'm sure there will be a point to see, especially when you finally do get to get back in the building. Whenever that happens, then we got to talk about that, about the in-game experience from your perspective on that. We'll have to do that. Is that cool? That's cool. That's cool. Just we just got to make sure it's one where they win. <laughs> we going to have problems. <laughs> Maybe it'll be the Timberwolves. <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would be just my luck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to check on the schedule and see what we can get you to do. That's gonna have to happen now. <laughs> We're gonna tell folks how they can follow you and uh, give me your website address. 
Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Angie C. Thomas, on Instagram at Angie Thomas, and my website is AngieThomas.com. Okay, that's simple and easy. And y'all know how to follow me at DM Grub on Twitter and Instagram and my website, H-I-T-P with DG.com. Uh, Angie, just, I uh, hope you have a fantastic Christmas um, and just enjoy the, the rest of this year, whatever, however you have to celebrate it and, and um, with your family and friends. But um, it's been it's been a great pleasure getting to know you this year, and I I, I look forward to 2021 um, and and seeing great things for you, and hopefully for me as well. Let's keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> yes, yes, nothing but great things for you. Nothing but great things. So, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Hope y'all enjoyed. Everybody stay safe, um, and and stay smart. All right, so for Angie Thomas, I am David Grubb, and this has been another edition of Harder to Paint. I'll talk to y'all soon.